a reading of the pamphlet Our Glorious Faith and How to Lose It. This is rather a flippant title for a very serious subject, but the fact is that some people do treat their faith flippantly. They are born into a family of great spiritual wealth, a family that had the faith perhaps for a thousand years and more. They do not prize this faith as they should, they make no effort to guard and protect it, and so they lose it and think nothing of the loss. In this pamphlet I want to describe the gift of faith, elaborate on the joy of possessing it and the horror of finding oneself without it, and then suggest how it is that people come to lose it. Our faith is a God-given awareness of realities that lie beyond sense perception and beyond the range of our unaided intellect. It's by faith that we become aware of the good God who loves us, who is our Father, and without whose permission nothing can happen. It's only by faith that we learn the true purpose of life, that God made us to know Him, love Him, and serve Him in this world, so that we may be happy with Him forever in the next. It's only by faith that we know where we come from and where we're going. Our faith throws a light on the path in front of our feet, so that we know where we can safely go. Our faith shows us where we are on the map of life and the best way to our destination. Our faith makes us able to cope with all that the world can throw at us. With this gift of faith, the whole world cannot destroy us. Nothing could happen that would re really shatter us. We may indeed be badly shaken, but nevertheless, with the gift of faith, we can always come up smiling. As St. John the Evangelist puts it, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. St. Ignatius Loyola was once told by his doctor not to let himself get anxious about anything or give in to worry, and he thought to himself, was there anything in this world he could get anxious about? And then he thought, well, yes, I suppose if the Pope dissolved the Society of Jesus so that it ceased to exist, yes, that would upset me. But then he went on to reflect, no, I'd only need a quarter of an hour in the chapel and I'd be all right again. I once knew a young man, two years married with a small baby, who was told he had terminal cancer with not long to live. Was he depressed or fearful? In no way. It was marvellous to see how he and his wife accepted it. He talked easily about his dying. It presented no problem to his philosophy of life. Yes, our faith enables us to welcome Sister Death with a smile. And all the more so the older we get. When Cardinal Wiseman was asked on his deathbed what it felt like when you actually knew you were dying, he said, I feel like a boy going home for the holidays. If we have the faith, we should never be really unhappy. After all, if nobody loves us, at least God does, and so does our Blessed Lady. And if the worst comes to the worst, I mean, if we die, there's always heaven waiting for us. But without the faith, I do not think the whole world could make us happy, at least not for long. With the faith, our life has a meaning and a purpose that stretches into eternity. Our ambition has no limits since it embraces God himself. 
This gives our life a meaning and a purpose that really satisfy. To those who lack the faith, the scope of their lives tends to be confined to the things of this world. I think I should say right now, right at the start, that my views are inevitably coloured by my own experiences, first as a practising Anglican and then as a convert to Catholicism. There may well be many good Anglicans more devout and much better instructed than ever I was who will disagree with some of my observations. And there may well be many good Catholics who, knowing little of the spiritual life of a Protestant, think I'm narrow-minded or even harsh. Having said that, let me continue to speak from my heart. An ambition that is confined to time and space eventually leads into a cul-de-sac and cannot possibly satisfy the aspirations of our soul. Our soul is spiritual and thus has no limits to its desires short of God himself. So if people look into their lives more closely they may begin to see them as lacking any satisfying purpose. Psychologists tell us that we cannot cope with a purposeless existence. Maybe that's why some people have such weird hobbies. These seem to give a worthwhile orientation to a life that has seemed aimless. Now, a thing we should remember is that our faith is a gift from God. It's not our own intellectual conquest. It's a free gift from the Father. Our Lord didn't say to St. Peter, Peter, you're the cleverest one here. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Our faith comes to us as a gift from God, and it would seem that a certain childlike quality of soul, which our Lord says elsewhere, is needed for entry into heaven, is also a prerequisite for receiving this gift of faith. St. Matthew recounts our Lord saying, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. And St. Paul tells us that God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We see from Holy Scripture over and over again that what God wants from us is a response of faith an unconditional surrender to his revelation and to his love. In the dialogue between God and the human race, which has been going on ever since Abraham, on God's side there has been revelation, and on our side there has been, or should have been, faith. In fact, you could say that the whole story of the Jews in the Old Testament is one of their chronic wavering between faith and unbelief. All through those centuries, God was trying to build up and purify their faith. When he found faith, he rewarded them with peace. When he found unbelief, he punished them with enemies and exile. In the 11th chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews, the author gives us a run-through of the main characters in the history of our salvation. And he tells us that in each case, it was their faith that made them pleasing to God. He tells us that one and all gave proof of their faith, and even that without faith it's impossible to please God. 
all those notables of the Old Testament, running like a golden thread from Abraham to Christ, were notable, so far as God was concerned, simply for their faith. What else did Rahab have to commend her? We remember Abraham chiefly for being our father in faith. It's the same in the New Testament. Our Lord was ever seeking to plant faith, to develop faith. If you read the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, you will see there how he goes to work. First of all, he feeds the five thousand with a few loaves and fishes. Then he walks over the water. He thus shows that he is the Lord of nature and that quantity is his creature. As he multiplied bread on the hillside, so can he multiply his Eucharistic presence throughout the world. As the insubstantial water bore up the weight of his body, so can the wafer conceal the reality of his presence. By those miracles, he was trying to help the Jews believe in him. So when he's talking to them next day, and they ask him what they must do to please God, he tells them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. Later, he complains, There are some of you who do not believe. He didn't say, There are some of you who don't understand. Nobody understood. He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for faith. Then, when the crowds had left him, and he said to the twelve, Will you also go away? St. Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have believed and known that thou art the Christ, the Son of God.